Have you ever wondered how your sales performance compares against your competitors and peers? The B2B Sales Benchmark Report provides the definitive guide to what success looks like in 2021. See how you compare in terms of win rate, sales cycle, average deal value, relationships, and engagement. You can see the results and get the full report at ebster.com forward slash B2B dash sales dash benchmarks. This is Sales Ops Demystified, the number one most downloaded podcast in sales operations. We invite the brightest minds in sales ops onto the show to deconstruct the what, why, and how behind rep productivity, forecasting, metrics, and all things revenue. This podcast is brought to you by EBSA, a revenue intelligence platform used to identify risk in the pipeline and score customer engagement, and is sponsored by the Global Sales Operations Association and the UK Revenue Operations Network. Hello and welcome to another very special episode of the Sales Ops Demystified podcast. We're joined by Patrick Thorpe, who is the head of delivery at Sales for Startups. So this episode is going to be slightly different from our typical sales or RevOps interview, uh, but I'm really looking forward to understanding with Patrick the, the need and the impact of sales ops on these kind of early stage companies. So Patrick, welcome to the show. Yes, Tom. Good to be here. So let's kick off first by just, can you just give us a background about what you guys do just to give context to the audience so they can understand where you're coming from, uh, from the RevOps and SalesOps standpoint? Yeah, sure. Um, So I'm head of delivery at Sales for Startups, who are a growth consultancy. And what we do is we help build and execute better sales strategies for startup tech businesses. And those tech businesses that are typically B2B and run some sort of subscription or SaaS-based model. Um, The majority of clients that we help are funded between seed and series A. And the overwhelming majority of those businesses are often founded by people who lack sales experience. So where we come in is we are to try and fix the problem of creating predictable revenue for these companies. And so that um, really touches all areas of the commercial side of the business. So marketing, sales and customer success. Got it. What is the earliest stage company you guys would work with in terms of size of sales team? Uh, Zero. Or actually zero sales. Well, so found still very much founder-led sales, I would say. So they what they we've definitely worked with businesses who are um, they don't have a sales function, and the customer numbers are under five, and the the first few customers have been purely founder-led. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And so, at what point in that journey from having zero salespeople? 
to I assume at Series C, you, you, the latest you guys may work with might be like up to 50 salespeople? Yeah, probably not as big as that. Um, okay. But in terms of um, sales, certainly sales teams and dedicated sales teams, you're looking at probably 15. And that's and that's an important distinction. So I'm talking about sales teams there. So I'm, I'm not talking about marketing or customer success. They, they could be, it could be a 10-person marketing team and a 15-person customer success team. So the revenue team in that example would be close to 50. Um, but the sales team is about 15, but they would be split over multiple geolocations as well. So that can cause an extra layer of complication or challenge. So actually, before I ask the question I was going to ask, let's go back because I know you have thoughts on the difference between sales and RevOps. And you touched upon that just now by saying that the Rev team might be 50, but the sales team might, might only be 10. So mm-hmm. what what are your thoughts on the differentiation between a RevOps team or resource and a sales ops team or resource? Yeah, okay. That's a good question. So um, I think it's important to define in my mind, what revenue operations is. And I'm of the view that revenue operations stitches together three areas of the business. You have marketing, you have sales, and you have customer success or account management. Because those three departments touch a customer at different points in their journey. So marketing is going to be fundamentally responsible for the engagement piece. So how do you make someone aware of your brand? The sales team are going to be responsible for the execution phase. So how do you take someone who is qualified and aligned with your ICP and turn them into a paying customer? And then the customer success or account management piece, they're going to be responsible for the expansion. So you've got the engagement, you've got execution, and you've got expansion. And so therefore, the operations and the department that sits behind all those three customer-facing functions, that's revenue operations. I think sales operations is focusing specifically on the sales piece. And so what, what tech stack you're going to be using, how does that integrate together from basically someone who is a sales qualified lead into a paying customer. So I think revenue operations is just a slightly more wide ranging role than just specifically sales ops. But it's, a, it's, but it's terminology that is quite new. It's certainly this side of the Atlantic. Um, I think that it is becoming more familiar here. It's probably like sales enablement was as a term. Four or five years ago, revenue operations now is starting becoming a little bit more commonplace, not massively so. Um, same with chief revenue officer as a role. You're starting to see that pop up more. And you can you see which direction the the tech industry is uh, is, is moving in. Yeah, so uh, there's, uh, there's a fundamental difference in my, in my eyes between RevOps and sales ops, yeah. Sure. So at what stage in the journey that this business is going on from founder-led sales to having 15 people in the sales team, would you say that the business starts to invest uh, in operations? So I have quite a clear view on how I think a business should be, uh, should be structured. Um, and I think that 
it's going to be purely determined upon where your revenue is currently for a business. So it wouldn't make sense for a a pre-seed or a seed-funded business, potentially even a Series A-funded business, to have a dedicated resource for revenue operations because there wouldn't be enough customers to service on the customer success side um, and there might not be enough salespeople in the sales team in order to warrant a specific resource. As a rule, as a good guide, I would say those businesses that have raised Series B that are probably running at a monthly recurring revenue of, I would say, maybe three hundred and fifty to 500000 something like that. So therefore, their annual recurring is whatever, five, six million, something like that. Because then you would start to look at a dedicated resource for the operational side of the business who would be working directly with a chief revenue officer. So I think that in my mind, a really nice structure is to have a VP of marketing, a VP of sales, and a VP of customer success, all reporting into the CRO, chief revenue officer, and the chief revenue officer is supported by a VP of revenue operations. And anything the perfect company size to have that would be around 3 million AR. Uh, um, I think I think I think just about I think anything less than that might be a little bit small, but I would say your three million plus ARRs as a rough guide should be the kind of thing to look at uh, there. But I mean, do you know what? Saying that, um, it is fundamentally down to the business. I mean, revenue operations is absolutely critical. I mean, businesses like Ebster were set up to solve this problem. You know, to be able to understand where the intelligence is coming from from a revenue perspective, and so I think with if there are businesses that are quite forward-looking and want to understand where are the levers we could pull in order to increase our revenue, is that going to come from marketing? Is it going to come from sales? Is it going to come from customer success? Then the earlier you can start to think about this kind of stuff, the better. Nice, I totally agree. What is the first thing, when you first start working with, with a, a new client, what is the first thing that you guys do? So everything that we do as a consultancy is data-driven. So gone are the days where a sales process can be conducted purely upon intuition and emotion. It's trying to take that out of the equation almost immediately. And so the first thing that we do is going to be looking at um, some deal analysis, um, talent assessment, um, market intelligence, positioning, and what the fundamentally what the value proposition is and how the market is reacting to that. Because at the sharper end of the startup space, when I say sharper end, I mean seed series A, Often the value proposition is something that you have to lead with. So you take a value first approach as opposed to a process first. So that's fundamentally what we're going to be looking at. But anything that we offer by way of consultancy or strategic suggestions are going to be backed up with data as opposed to saying, this is what we think you should do because it worked at other businesses. It needs to be specific to that business. And the only way you can get specific is by reacting to what the data is telling you. So what's what we found has been 
over the last four years, having worked with close to 60 businesses, but also been in conversation with over 200 founders of these businesses, you can boil down what the fundamental areas are of a tech business in order to get them to grow. And that can often be boiled down to what we refer to as the three Ps. So you've got your proposition, your people, and your process. All challenges can often be broken down into those three buckets. And when you focus it in a very clear way like that, you actually start to understand quite quickly, these are the different levers that I need to pull in order for my company to grow. As an extension to that, something that we've noticed as a common characteristic or trait of founders of these businesses is that we need more leads. Lead acquisition is something we need more people to talk to. And actually, that's the second thing you should do. What you should do is you should focus on conversion, i.e. those people that you've identified already who might even be in conversation or who are are in your pipeline. How can we get those over the line before we start looking at net new? So it's conversion, then acquisition, not the other way around. Makes sense. What would you say is the biggest sales-related challenge a startup has? Biggest sales-related challenge? Um, Lack of understanding about what problem that you solve. You need to be able to clearly articulate, this is the problem that we solve, or these are the symptoms of the problem that we solve. So therefore, in my prospecting, I can communicate that as a message. Because if you are selling features and benefits of a product, that doesn't work. You need to be more outcome-focused. And the only way that you can be outcome-focused is to have a real understanding of the problem that you fix and what the problem is, what what the symptoms of that problem are. Because... 3% of the market are going to be ready to buy your stuff right now. The other 97% aren't. So it's trying to find ways in speaking to those 3% of people. And if you can outline what problem that you fix or what symptoms of that problem are to the person on the telephone or over a video call or over um, an email or something like that, then you'll quickly unearth those people who are ready to buy or close to ready to buy as opposed to wasting time with those people who are never going to buy from you. And then after the the founders and maybe the first couple of salespeople are very clear on the problem that they solve and the symptoms, mm-hmm. what and, and they and they start to grow, they, they start to scale. What are the challenges that they come across from a sales perspective then? Okay, so yeah, if you've got a if you've got a working team with two or three salespeople in it, um, what some of your challenges are going to be there is going to be adherence to your sales process. Uh, and making sure that your sales process is well documented. Um, Because when you start to scale, this is where it becomes a little bit more challenging in order to manage it. And so that's where pieces of software can be incredibly important. So understanding what can we learn from deals that we won? What can we learn from deals that we've lost? How can we start to incorporate what the market is telling us and feed it back into our marketing engine. 
again, this is where revenue operations can be incredibly important because you can start to consider market intelligence, deal intelligence, people intelligence, those sort of three key pillars. And then actually how you can start to scale a business effectively on the back of that. So I think, yeah, certainly the, the ma- one major challenge is definitely the, the adherence to the sales process. Um, but also the challenge is going to be how you can reduce your sales cycle or how you can increase your average contract value. Um, again, those kind of key performance indicators are ones that we would focus on. But it's all very well saying we want to reduce our sales cycle but then the question always begs after that, how do you do that? These all sound like problems that would be good to give to a sales ops person, right? <laughs> but it, in this example, a, a couple of sales reps and the founders, I assume the revenue is going to be much lower than the 3 million that we said earlier, which mm-hmm. is when someone would have a RevOps person. So are you then actually saying that a company should consider bringing in a salesperson, sales ops person sorry, earlier to help tackle these or should that be the founder or the the most senior salesperson that tackles these challenges so um i think i think it's a bit of both i think that the the vp of sales needs to understand his um his team and his function really well his or her function really well and so this is going to fall into their um on, on their remit initially as in they need to know from the 100 deals that we did, what's our most profitable source? Is it social? Is it direct traffic? Is it organic? Is it, um, is it paid advertising? Whatever it might be. And they need to be able to make sure that their reps are have a very high level of CRM hygiene, as I would call it. Um, so I think initially, it's the VP of sales job. If you're talking about a the, the sales process, like the execution phase, um, it needs to get to a stage where then the sale, the VP of sales is saying, look, I really need a sales ops person uh, to, to, to come in, specifically sales ops. And then it could start to expand out because then the VP of sales, a chief revenue officer might come above them and then would be having VP of marketing, VP of sales, VP of customer success all into them. And then that's when you would need a VP of RevOps. So I, so I think that sales ops comes first and then RevOps comes afterwards, I think. Yeah, I, that, that, that kind of makes sense to me. So when those three departments, success, marketing, sales, mature, and there's a VP of revenue operations, then it would be great to have an ops person sitting across all three. But before that, you probably need someone helping out with the sales process. Makes mm-hmm. total sense. Now, here's my question. The, the calculation that's going on in either the founder or the VP of sales head when they're deciding whether they can afford or whether they should invest in an ops person. Uh, so my question is, is this the calculation they should do? Um, do they say, let's say they're going to pay a sales ops person 70 grand a year. Mm-hmm. Are they saying, could we make more money by investing 70 grand in a sales ops person uh, if we had them or not? If, like, if, 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 is it really that like blunt? That that's the question they should be asking. I don't know if I asked that question very well to you, but does that make sense? I think so. So, what is the return on investment of a sales ops person? Okay, yeah, so, that's a much better way of saying it. Okay, okay. So, um, yeah, let's t- let's take your example of um, seventy grand a year for a, for a sales ops person. Now, um, 
it, it has to be target orientated or KPI driven that role because it can it's total ownership of certain aspects of the um, of the sales process. So I'm talking about things like well, if we notice that our sales cycle is 56 days and we set ourselves a target of reducing that to 50 days, that six day delta is a KPI that the sales ops person is going to be um, owning. That's just one example. So whilst the role may not be directly a, a direct contributor, it's an indirect contributor. And it might be more focused on if we invest this money, how much could this RevOps person save us? So for example, we talk about uh, sales ops or RevOps people um, technology and how they stack it together, right? A software audit of the company by an experienced ops person might go, we're doubling up on here, we're doubling up on here, this doesn't work. We ha- we're having to use two bits of software that we need to use a expensive connector to use them. There's a better way of doing things and already turning off that particular piece of software and those licenses is going to save us um, X thousand or X tens of thousands of pounds a year. So straight away, you're starting to look at other aspects of return on investment as opposed to how much are they going to make us to how much they're going to save us. Because if we're looking at operations, that's more of a cost saving as opposed to revenue production. But if we're because these two roles in terms of sales ops and sales work directly together, if we've got sales being able to produce more, without doing as much and sales ops making the machine run as efficiently as possible, that to me sounds a very well-calculated investment. That's a very good point. I didn't think about the amount of cash that could be saved by a sales ops person. And you're totally right. Operation is probably more about cost saving. Hmm. Now, one topic that we are going to be looking at deeply over the next month or so, or the next two months on this podcast is forecasting for next year, forecasting for 2021. Do you have any insights on how a startup can build an accurate forecast for for next year, taking into account what's happened this year with the the turbulence of the the world economy? Yeah. So often how we approach this is by saying, are are accurate forecasts possible? Sort of first question, right? Um, Yes, I think is the answer to that. Um, But at the startup level, I think what one should be doing is focusing on what are our targets for the next 90 days. Let's focus on the next 12 weeks, next three months, and let's understand what our targets are and therefore what the objectives are going to be and then what the activities are going to need to be in order to hit those targets. Because the framework that we subscribe to at our consultancy is this GOA framework. And so what that stands for is you've got goals, and then you need to understand what what objectives are required in order to hit those goals, but then breaking down those objectives into underlying activities so that you know on a day-to-day basis, if I execute those activities on a daily basis, it will achieve those objectives, which will then hit those goals because it's just simple. It's the simple natural law between cause and effect. I think, um, or I know rather. Um, so that's the first thing. In terms of, um, so therefore, forecasting, whilst there is a North Star 
uh, metric goal for a startup, breaking it down into 90-day um, quarters and therefore uh, one or two-week sprints. And so, so 90 days would be broken down into six two-week sprints. Um, it's not only poaching something that the dev and engineering community are more familiar with, but it, it maintains focus and it creates a sense of confidence and momentum, which is something that you definitely want at the startup space. I think when your companies get slightly bigger and they have a little bit more, uh, what should I say? They have a little bit more understanding of their market, client size, all that kind of thing. They can, they need to strategically plan for 12 months. I think startups, because it changes a lot, um, 90 days is where you should look to, this is how you should execute. Awesome. Yeah, that makes total sense. Have the 90 day plan. And then the things that you are definitely going to do in those 90 days that will probably lead to the results that you actually want. So do you know what? There's, a, there's an important point you just focused, uh, that you just mentioned oh. there. So there is a um, strategy, is what you should do, and then you've got the plan, is how you should do it. They're not the same thing. And that's, that's a, an education piece that we have to talk founders through um, almost on a daily basis, the differences between a strategy and a plan. So just just to clarify that, because it, it, it's not clear in my head right now, it, a strategy is what needs to be done, and yep. the plan is ha- how you're going to do it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. So what so yeah, so what so what I mean is um, a strategic point could be we want to um, we want to increase the amount of discovery calls that we have on a monthly basis, or it could be we want to increase customer acquisition um, by ten percent, or we want to. Uh, insert objective here right that's what that's what we want to do but immediately it's we want to increase the amount of discovery calls okay how are you going to do that that's where the plan comes in we need to ensure that we are how we're going to do it is that we are going to increase the amount of people we talk to by 10 percent on a weekly basis we need to make sure that our content creation is being dished out on linkedin every tuesday and thursday of the week. so it's actually the tactical pieces of how you're going to hit that objective, that's why they're fundamentally different. Makes sense. Now, the final question I ask every guest on the show is who within sales or sales ops would you most like to take for lunch? Okay. So I was having a think about this one, and I don't know her personally, a lady called Hilary Headley. So okay. it's global, global, global head of sales ops at Zoom. So the software we're using oh, yeah. right now. So 30x overnight growth must have been pretty tricky. And I'd love to pick her brains in a few things. As I said, I don't know her at all. I don't know how much she'd appreciate being called, um, you know, some sort of ninja. But she's clearly in the last sort of six to nine months um, her, would have had some quite interesting war stories. So, yeah, I'd, uh, I'd definitely like to take her, her out to lunch, I think. We will try and, and bring her on the show. I'm sure she is incredibly busy, but we will try, Patrick. Yeah, um, that'd be great. Uh, but, f- Patrick, thank you for coming on. And it's been a bit of a different perspective on sales and sales ops. So probably an earlier stage and also a more holistic view, which I think is going to be valuable for the sales and RevOps-specific audience that we have. Okay. So it was really good to, to bring you on and kind of share. I, I think you shared like a, a number of years uh, condensed sales startup sales wisdom there in yeah. about 25 minutes so thank you so much for joining us you're very welcome tom thanks for that 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sales Ops Demystified podcast. If you are listening on a podcast listening application, then please subscribe, rate, and review. And if you have any questions about the show, if you know a guest, or if you have any questions about sales operations, just hit me up at tomhunt at ebster.com. That's tomhunt at ebster.com. Thank you.